But if you're new, I just want to say welcome. And our two prayers for you, the first one is that you would feel loved here, that you would come into this place and feel like you're at home, that, that the people here, you know, truly know you and they also still love you, right? And that's kind of hard to find. Like when people actually know us and all of our junk, sometimes they don't love us anymore. But we really try to practice that, where we really know each other and still truly love each other, okay? So that's the prayer. But then also, our prayer is that every time you come here, that you would meet with God, that it wouldn't be just religion. I don't have time for religion, guys. I don't have time for just like some rules to follow or just like behavior modification. Instead, what I want is an encounter with God, and I think you want it too. I think we're desperate for that in our generation. So we're praying that every time you step foot into this place, every time you interact with a Chi Alpha student or you're in a small group, that you would get to meet with God and experience his love and his power because he's got good things for you, okay? So uh, that's our prayer. And I could preach a sermon about that tonight, but I don't have time. So we're going to talk about uh, dating. Well, not dating. Derek talked about dating last week. We're going to talk about marriage tonight. So Pastor Derek, the last two weeks, has kicked off our series on, on love and dating and marriage. And he did love and dating, did a great job in week one and two. And now tonight I get to back clean up and do marriage. So I'm really excited to jump in that or jump into that. But as I was preparing for this message, I started thinking back to my history of dating relationships. And to be honest, it's a checkered past. You know, I dated like 20 girls in elementary school. So I dated all the girls in my school, and then nobody wanted to date me after that, really. But uh, so it started in first grade. Um, There's a girl up the street from me, and she was just beautiful, incredible. She was in the third grade, so two grades older than me. And, uh, and I was busting a move. I'm not going to lie. You know, I was just going for it. I said, I don't care if she's two years older than me. I'm going for it. If she's the prettiest girl on the street, then I'm going to try. So anyways, I asked her out, and she said yes. And... Uh, I got invited to her birthday party, and it's, it's a big deal. And uh, at the birthday party, I asked her if she would come into the closet to talk to me, and uh, she did. <laughs> it's first grade, okay, come on. It can't be that bad. So she comes in the closet, and I say, hey, I think we need to talk about something. And she says, what is it? I said, you know, we've been dating for like eight days now, and I really think we should kiss. And she said, that sounds really great. Let's do that. So then we kissed. And that was my first kiss in first grade, uh, and it was a good time. But uh, as I said, I went on to have literally dozens of girlfriends in elementary school, middle school, less in high school. And to be honest with you, though, none of them were very serious. Obviously, elementary school is not serious, and even the ones in high school were not super serious. They never lasted that long. Um, it always seemed to me that the girls that I wanted to date did not want to date me, and the girls who wanted to date me, I did not want to date them. So it was just like a really bad thing where... I was just unhappy, and I have some hilarious stories I could share with you. Like, I could take the whole 45 minutes and just share stories of my dating relationships in elementary school, middle school, high school, but we're not going to do that tonight because uh, this isn't comedy hour, right? And we need to talk about some serious stuff. And on a more serious note, um, or for, me, or for me, my journey until I got to college when it comes to dating and love and relationships was actually quite tragic. Uh, There's a lot of heartache. I did a lot of stupid things. Uh, physically speaking with these girls, also with my heart, though, attaching myself to girls that I shouldn't have. And when I got to college, or, or just before I got to college, I was a broken, broken person. I'll share more of that later, but just completely came to the end of myself because of these relationships. And that's what actually led me to renew my faith in Christ, because I realized I was bankrupt on my own. And, and for me, my God was trying to find a girl who would love me, and I couldn't find someone. And every time I seemed to get with a girl, I would screw it up. And I would do things I regretted. And I got to this place of brokenness before God. And I said, God, I have nothing to bring to the table. I am hopeless. I need you to do something. And God met me. And I'll share more of that later. But God 
just met me, and he made me a brand new creation. And then shortly after, I met my wife, Emily. But, and now we're married with, with one kid and a second one coming. And our story is really amazing. And I really believe I'm living the dream when it comes to our marriage. I believe that, that I have it pretty good. But Emily and I also made a lot of mistakes. And because of the mistakes we've made, I think that I have some authority to try to help you not to do the same stupid things I did, okay? So that's my heart. So every uh, single thing we share with you in Kaiapha, like about dating, like one thing we say, and maybe Derek talked about this, I don't actually know, but uh, there's one encouragement we have and say, hey, if you can help it, just don't even kiss because it's just gonna lead you to get tempted. And that sounds crazy to some of you, and I get it, it's crazy. But for me, what I found is if I kissed a girl, like I wanted to do other things, okay? So I just say, why? Just don't kiss at all, right? It's easier that way. That's why we give you this advice, not because we're mad at you if you do kiss, not because we have all these rules, like you guys can do what you want, it's your life. But we have these encouragements because we have, or particularly me and Derek have messed up in big ways in our relationships. Uh, John and Casey and Marcus and Katie have done better. Uh, they're the other people on staff. They're doing a good job. But part of that is because they saw the stupid things we did. And they said, we don't want to do that. And, and now they're living out this dating relationship in a beautiful way. Okay? So that's why we encourage you guys with all this stuff. Because, because we've missed the mark. And we want to help you do better than us. All right? So... All of us come in here tonight with different backgrounds when it comes to sex and relationships. And, and some of you, you're still waiting for your first kiss. Like you've been like puckering up in the mirror like, I'm ready for that kiss. I've never been kissed. Come on, boy or girl, I need that kiss. There's others of you who you've had a lot of sexual encounters, if you're honest. And there's some of us who have been in long-term committed relationships. Like you had a boyfriend when you were eight and you stayed with that boyfriend forever. Okay, there's some of us like that. And there's others that have had just... Uh, short-term relationships. There's some of you who you have a line of people who want to date you. Like, you know who you are. You're like, yeah, all the boys in Calf, they just want to date me. There's others of you, nobody wants to date you, it seems like. And you get kind of sad. You're depressed about that. There's some of you who have followed God's heart for relationships. You're doing it well. There's others who haven't. I would be one who didn't do it well, okay? So uh, we're in the same boat there. But uh, my hope and prayer for this series has been a couple things. One, that God would give us a biblical understanding of his design for love and marriage and sex. Two, that, that and this is the big thing, that God would free us from shame and guilt. Because I know tonight, specifically with this topic, we have a lot of shame in this room. I can sense it. There's, there's shame, there's guilt. You feel like you just totally missed it. You messed it up. And I'm praying that, that Jesus would show you his love tonight and show you that he doesn't hold your past against you. That every morning with Jesus, every morning with Jesus is new, his mercies are new every single day. It says that in limitations. And God wants to breathe brand new life on you and give you a fresh start. Okay, so that's my second prayer. And then my third prayer is that God would prepare you for a spouse or to be single, if that's what he's called you to. And we'll talk about those two different pathways tonight. So that's my prayer. And I think Derek's done a great job. These first two weeks, I believe we've come a long way, but I think God is gonna kind of put a bow on our series tonight and close it out as we talk about marriage. So that's the title of tonight's sermon is Marriage. I thought about it long and hard. It's very creative. And then we're going to go back to the very first marriage relationship in Genesis chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And we're just going to read Adam and Eve's story and apply it to our lives and say, okay, uh, or what is God's heart for marriage and how can we pursue that? That's kind of the questions we're answering tonight. So Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. Uh, Genesis is the very, the very first book of the Bible. In the first two chapters, the author Moses tells us about the creation of the world. In Genesis 1, he gives us a big picture view of creation. He tells us how 
God spoke and he created the heavens and the earth. He created light and darkness, the land and the sea, the vegetation and the fruit, the sun and the moon, the creatures and the birds, the livestock and the, or the, livestock and the creeping things. And finally, his crown jewel of creation is man and woman. God tells the man and woman that they are created in his image. In the image of God, he created them. And he tells them to multiply and fill the earth. So I'm not, guys, I'm not messing around. Like the first command was go have sex. Seriously, like I'm not trying to be, I mean, I'm trying to be funny. I'm not gonna lie to you. I'd like a laugh, but it's the first command. So sex isn't a bad thing. It's a good thing, but God has some parameters for it. We'll talk about this. We'll talk about that tonight. But God tells them, go be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then in Genesis 2, we get a more zoomed up picture of God's creation. And specifically, we get a zoomed up view of how he created man and woman and kind of their story. And we see the first ever wedding ceremony here in Genesis 2. And it gives us a picture of God's design for marriage. And in Genesis 2, is ground zero for a theology on marriage. We're trying to build a theology on marriage and how to do it well. And I really want to land our series here because I think it's important to, or to see God's original heart for it and to go forward with that end in mind. Okay, so as you're dating, you need to have the end in mind that, that okay, someday I want to get married to someone and, com- and commit myself to them wholly, just as we see here in Genesis 2. So let's read it and let's see what God has for us. It says in verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, or saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And then out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And, and uh, whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. That's a tall task, right? He's like thinking of all of these names for animals. Uh, the man gave the name to all the livestock and the birds of the heaven and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took out one of his ribs and closed it up with flesh. And the rib the Lord God had taken out of the man, he made into the woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So this line here in verse 24 is important. It's what's called an interpolation in the original language of Hebrew, which means, that was weird, which means it's simply a remark that's injected into the conversation. So we're in verses 15 through 23, we're reading a story, and then in verse 24, God's voice kind of jumps in and says, hey, pay attention to this. This marriage is a design or a paradigm for all marriages. Think about it. Adam did not have a father or mother to leave, right? He didn't have a father or mother, and Eve didn't have any other options. So it's not like God just talking about their story. He's saying this is the design for all humans of all time. God is trying to teach us something that doesn't only apply to Adam and Eve, but applies for all of us, okay? So that's why it's important that we read this and apply it to our lives, okay? In verse 25, it's everyone's favorite verse. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the main idea tonight is this. Marriage is a beautiful gift from God that's worth pursuing. It's a good thing that God created that 
everybody, if you feel called, should pursue. Okay, so let's pray, and then we'll jump into that. Jesus, we thank you for tonight. God, I thank you for every single student who decided to come out tonight. And I pray that tonight would be worthwhile for every single person, God, that every person would encounter you, that they would get some good theology on marriage that would not just be head knowledge, but something that really impacts their lives and the way that they live. God, I pray that you'd help me to communicate it well. And Spirit, we just ask you to move in this place. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so everything we think we know about love started with these two naked humans in a garden. Everything started with that first love song that Adam sang. Two humans came together in full love and devotion to each other, and out of their love came the whole world. And tonight we stand here, or you sit there, as your sons and, or as their sons and daughters. Our stories can all be traced back to their love story in the garden. God's dream for us is that our stories would look a little bit like this original story, that each of us would be able to find someone again, who are called, not everyone's called to get married, but anyone who's called to get married would find someone who they can become one flesh with and commit themselves to that person for life. That for you guys, that, that God could bring you a beautiful woman who makes your heart leap out of your chest and you just want to shout out, bone of my bones and flesh in my flesh. That woman is beautiful. And for you, and for you ladies, that God could bring you a guy who's not going to be a chump. There's a lot of chumps out there. I'm just saying, somebody stay single, girls, okay? I'm just saying, stay single if they're going to be a chump, okay? We'll talk about that more later. Uh, so guys, step it up, all right? I'm sick of laziness and passivity. That's a whole other sermon, but uh, so anyways, uh, guys, I haven't preached in a couple weeks. I'm feeling feisty tonight, but anyways, uh, <laughs> I was going to say this. This was in my, uh, that was not in my notes. This is in my notes. Ladies, that God is going to bring you a guy who's going to love and cherish you and lay down his life for you and be the man that God had called him to be. All right. So, and for all of us that as we become one flesh with someone else, that all of us would pursue Jesus together in these marriage relationships. But we know, okay, as great as that sounds, we know that this is not always the way it works. We don't live in the garden anymore. Instead of being naked and unashamed and fully committed to one another, we hide behind our clothes to mask our guilt and shame. The sad reality is 50% of our marriages end in divorce today. And one-third of children go to bed without a dad. Back to why men can stink sometimes, right? But again, that's another sermon. But something has seriously went wrong, right? This is not the garden anymore. God's heart is that we would get back to the garden. God's heart is that each of us would, would come back to this first love story and get a fresh but ancient understanding of what marriage is supposed to be, what sexuality is supposed to be. Tonight, we've got to ask the question, God, what is your dream for marriage? You made this thing. You designed it. What is your dream for marriage? What is your dream for sex? That's the question we have to ask God. And as he reveals it to us, then we're going to realize that it is better than anything we could come up with. My goal tonight is that God would give you a glimpse of his beautiful design, that he would give you a glimpse of how incredible marriage can be, okay? So I want to make two points about this, and I might have some subpoints, but don't hold it against me, okay? So here's the first point. It's going to come from verse 15 through 17, okay? So again, the Lord God took the man. He put him in the garden to, to work it and keep it, and the Lord God commanded the man. He said, eat of any tree in the garden, but don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Okay, so he gives him a boundary. He gives him a parameter. He says, okay, you can do whatever you want, but do not eat of that tree. Okay, so the first point is this. We can trust that God's dream for marriage is good. 
Okay, God's dream for marriage is good. I'll unpack that here in the next few moments. So, so we see in Genesis 2 that, that God created marriage. It was his idea. Marriage is the product of God, not culture. We didn't come up with it. God came up with it. And this is why people from every culture on the planet get married. God knows how it's supposed to function. He knows how it's supposed to work. And the first love story between Adam and Eve seemed pretty incredible. Adam was so pumped that he sang that song. And, and you know when a groom starts singing as the bride comes down the aisle, that it's going to be pretty amazing, right? That's going to be a great marriage. But for this love story to stay good beyond the wedding, God knew that they needed to stay inside certain parameters. He said, hey, you can eat of any tree, but do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God knew that they needed some boundaries to their relationship and to their lives. And then only a chapter later in chapter 3, Satan tries to get Adam and Eve to question God's heart for them and his boundaries. So let's read this. This is Satan. Okay, so Satan's the devil or the enemy, whatever you want to call him, but he is trying to destroy us. And read what he says here. It says, Now the serpent, which is Satan, was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, how many times have you guys heard that? Did God actually say that? Like Reese is like, yeah, I've heard that, right? Well, he looked at me funny. So anyways, uh, but, but did God actually say that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, and neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, he's been lying since the beginning, guys. He says this, he says, you will not surely die, for God knows that, that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves some loincloths. Okay, God gives them a boundary. Satan lies to them and tells them that the boundary that God has set up for their good and for their joy is not actually a good thing. They cross the boundary, and then sin and shame and guilt and death come. This is our story, right? Like God says, don't do that, and then we do it because we think we know better, and then we have sin and shame and guilt and death. It's been happening since the beginning of time. Satan's primary form of attack on us is to lie to us and to say, did God actually say? Satan wanted them to question God's heart for them and God's design for their lives. Satan knew that if they went against God's loving parameters, that sin and death would enter the world. In the greatest tragedy of human history, Adam and Eve listened to his lies, and all of us are bearing the consequences of it. Satan wants us to believe that God does not have our best interests in mind. Sin is ultimately not trusting that God has our best interests in mind. And Satan loves to exploit that. And one of the primary places that Satan attacks in this way is with marriage and sexuality. Did God actually say that you shouldn't sleep with your boyfriend? Did God actually say that you shouldn't look at porn? Satan asks these questions because he knows that if we don't believe that God's design for our lives is good, that we'll go against it, and then destruction will come in. So tonight, we need to establish this. Satan wants to destroy you, but God wants to save you. John 10.10 says the thief, which is Satan, comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. 
Jesus came that they may have life and have it abundantly. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 24, it says this, And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good, always that he might preserve us alive as we are to this day. God wants what's best for us. God is good. If we could get anything tonight, I just pray that you would know that God is good. He wants what's best for you, and he is way smarter than us. And he knows what he's doing. I don't know why we don't listen to him. Because we think we're smarter, right? That must be what it is. And God knows the best place for sex and, and for romance. And, and that place is inside of marriage. Study after study after study shows that people with the best sex lives are those who commit to one person of the opposite sex inside of marriage who have had few or no partners before marriage. People with the lowest level of, of sexual satisfaction are promiscuous singles and those with frequent sexual encounters. That's just what the statistics say. God knows that, that romance and sex inside of marriage opens you up to trust and vulnerability and it solidifies your relationship with deep bonds as you're committed to each other for life. But sex and romance outside of marriage, outside of the commitment of lifelong marriage, makes it harder to trust the other person because it's all about the pleasure of sex, and, it's, and it doesn't include the commitment of marriage. You are constantly needing to perform to keep the other person. There's no till death do us part. Instead, you give yourself away sexually in the deepest way possible, and you don't even know if they'll still be your boyfriend or girlfriend or your friend in the morning. You don't know that. Romance and sex without the lack, romance and sex without the security and commitment will lead to brokenness and heartache, and God knows it. And I think that's what Katie was talking about when she came in tonight, and she had that word, and she said, some of you are feeling broken, you're feeling concerned. I just know there's sexual brokenness all across this room. And it's because we're not doing it the way that God wanted us to. And we continue to think that, that we know best, but we don't. Guys, that's why we have destruction. Every, all the destruction in our lives typically comes from our sin, typically. There's sometimes bad things happen we can't control. But, but when it comes to sex, when we uh, make these choices and then we invite this brokenness in and we wonder, why is my life going so poorly? Why am I not finding the man in my dreams? Well, it's because we're not following God's design. God's saying it's so simple. It's here, right here in Genesis 1 and 2. One man, one woman, for life, committed, no matter what. Here's the thing. If I get ugly, if I get fat, Emily's stuck with me. Okay? That's just the reality. I'm trying to keep my figure. But it's nice to know that I don't have to keep looking good, right? She'll still be there. Guys, we're not supposed to have, have sex with people who might ditch us because we don't look good anymore. That's not good for the human heart. To give yourself away in the most vulnerable way possible, and not even know if the person's going to stick with you. That is not God's heart. God, or God wants us to only express our sexuality inside of this safe place of marriage. We need to establish tonight that God's heart and God's design for relationship and sexuality is better than anything our world can offer. He created marriage. He knows how it's supposed to work, and he's after our joy. That's the other thing. He's after our joy. He's not doing it to steal your fun. God's not like, hey, don't have sex because I don't want you to have fun. No, God says don't do that outside of marriage because he doesn't want you to hurt. God is after your joy. Psalm 1611 says, or says, you make known to me the path of life. This is David talking to God, okay? He says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. 
and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God is a God of pleasure. He wants to give you pleasures. He's after your joy. David knew this. David was a man who was after God's own heart. David was a man who was one of the most intimate men with God of all time. And he knew that, that when you bring yourself under God's design, when you lean into him, he brings joy and pleasure. God wants what's best for you. God wants to bring you joy. Okay, so after telling Adam uh, not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, after giving him this boundary, God then lays out his dream for marriage. So let's read the rest of this passage again. It says, Then the Lord God said, It's not good that the man should be alone. I'll make him a helper fit for him. And then he makes all the beasts and of the field and all that. And Adam gives all the names and he doesn't find a helper fit for him. And then in verse 21, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up his place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Second point, God's, or God's dream for marriage is one man becoming one flesh with one woman, or one woman for life. God's heart for marriage from the very beginning has been that a man and woman will leave their old lives and fully give themselves to one another, that they will become fused together at the deepest levels and essentially become one person. Inside of this safe, beautiful, committed relationship, we can experience the deepest and most powerful human relationship possible. In fact, marriage is the only place, Derek talked about this in week one, but but marriage is the only place that, that contains all four of the Greek loves that Derek unpacked. In marriage, you find your best friend, phileo love, which is friendship love. In marriage, you welcome a new family member, the storge love, or the, the family love. You experience sexual intimacy, the eros love. And the best part is you get to actively lay down your life for someone else every single day of your life, which is agape love, which is the kind of love that Jesus showed us when he gave his life for us. Guys, I'm telling you, I promise you, your marriage partner will take you off more than anyone else in the world. And, and you'll love them at the same time, right? I love Emily so much, but we fight. I'm not gonna lie to you, okay? Like normal humans fight, all right? So if you didn't know that, there you go. But anyways, point is, marriage gives you an opportunity every day to turn the other cheek and to lay down your life for someone else and say, hey, they may be annoying me right now. You know, Emily gets mad at me for chomping my breakfast. Like she wants silence, okay? I'm like, and that annoys her. But she gets to lay down her life for me and say, you know, he may be annoying, but he's my annoying man. And I love him, right? She's not here tonight, so I can just pretend that she says these things. But uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. She would say that. But point is, in marriage, we get to lay down our lives for someone else. Okay, so I want to answer a basic question. What is marriage? What is marriage? Okay, so Genesis 2, 24, again, says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they're just and they shall become one flesh. Okay, so marriage is two things. It's, or one, it's covenantal, and two, it's complementary. Okay, and it's between a man and a woman where they can wholly give themselves to one another. So by covenant, it's a relationship where two people both desire to be with, or to be with each other, and also they're committed to one another in a legal fashion. It's not just that they want to be, but they also are stuck together legally, and it's hard to get out of it. So Tim Keller says it this way. He says, a covenant is a relationship that's far more intimate 
and personal than just a legal business contract. But at the same time, it's far more durable, binding and unconditional than one that's just based off feelings and affection. A covenant relationship is a stunning blend of law and love. Okay, so the first thing is marriage is covenantal. The second thing is it's complementary. So both sexes come together to, or to more wholly reflect God's image. Man and woman together reflect God's image, not just us on our own. Obviously, we're all made in the image of God, but, but, but most wholly God's image is reflected in both the man and the woman. It gives us an accurate picture of who God is. In marriage, the man and woman come together to form the strongest human bond possible. And the word for one in this one flesh phrase here in the Hebrew is a cod. Okay, a cod. And a cod means to be fused together at the deepest level. So when a couple comes together in marriage and they consummate it in the bedroom, they become one. They become fused together. A cod blurs the line between a man and woman. It makes it hard to tell who is who. Have you ever noticed when someone gets married for some reason, and maybe this is just me, but I feel like they start to look more alike. I don't know. This is a random thing. Me and Emily, I feel like we look alike. John and Casey, I've always said they could be brother and sister, but it's all right. I love you guys. <laughs> but uh, point is, it, it, that, that was a joke, but it, it, it blurs the line between a man and woman. It makes it hard to tell who is who. They start to become like each other. A cod is when you are most intimately known by another person. And the only relationship strong enough to hold this kind of power, the untamed power of a cod, is a marriage between a man and woman. Inside of this relationship, they say, I know the best of you, I know the worst of you, and I'm still committed to you. I'm with you for better or for worse. Because of the power of a cod, of becoming one flesh, sexuality and romance is a high-risk endeavor. So the question is, why do we want to get married then? If it's so risky, if you can get hurt, if your heart can be broke, what's the point in getting married? Well, I'm really glad you asked because I thought about that before the sermon, and I have a couple things. So, so why marriage? That's the question. Well, Genesis 2.18 gives us the first reason. It says, then the Lord God said, it's not good that the man shall be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So the first reason why we have marriage is for friendship. Marriage has the potential to be the most intimate and powerful human friendship. These verses completely deconstruct the idea that all we need is Jesus. Because Adam had God, or Jesus, in the most intimate way possible without the separation of sin and death. But God said, Adam still needs a friend. God brought him all these different animals to see if they would fit for him as a friend or be a good helper. And the word for helper in the Hebrew is easier. And this word does not mean like personal assistant. So some of you women are like, Am I supposed to be the man's personal assistant? And no, that's not what it's saying. So, so you know, don't get all worked up tonight. Uh, but uh, so, Ezer is a partner. Okay, so in one of the Psalms, it says this. It says, the Lord is with me. He is my Ezer. Okay, so you're not gonna say that God is your personal assistant, right? Instead, helper is an equal, okay? So men, don't you be saying that your woman's supposed to be behind you. Like, get behind me, woman. No, if you do that, you're out of here. I'm just kidding. Sorry, but... <laughs> Well, yeah, so anyways. But uh, <laughs> helper, easier means suitable on the same level. Your partners in crime is like Will Smith and Martin Lawrence and Bad Boys. You are both equals, all right? I don't know if anybody watched that movie, but uh, I don't even think I've watched it. But so 
This is the first people that popped in my head. So this is someone that you love and respect. This is your helper. So when God made Eve, he was not making a personal assistant, but he was making an equal for Adam to do life with. It's in our very nature to give ourselves wholly to someone else or to others in loving relationship. It's in our nature because we're made in the image of God. And God is not just one person. God is three persons. So for all of eternity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have had this perfect intimacy with one another. They've been laying down their lives for each other. Theologians call this the dance of God. They've been just kind of dancing together, serving and loving one another, and giving themselves, John, stop dancing in the back, <laughs> giving themselves wholly to one another. And this is what marriage is kind of like. It's, it's equals walking side by side, giving themselves wholly to one another. Because God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are equals. They're not subservient of each other. They are equals. They are all holy God. So marriage is a beautiful representation of the love that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have for each other. Okay, verse 15 gives us something else. The Lord God took the man. He put him in the garden and told him to work it and keep it. So the second reason we have marriage is gardening. Gardening. Let's go uh, make a garden. No. So gardening, this idea is that in marriage, we get a partner to pursue our calling with. God put Adam in the garden to work it and to take care of it. So Adam had a job. So if you think that you aren't called to have a job, no, we're all called to have a job. Maybe that looks like being a stay-at-home mom. That's a job, right? Or maybe it looks like um, being in ministry. You know, the point is we all have to have something that we're doing with our lives. If we just sit on the couch and watch TV, we're going to be very discontented because God created us to work. He created us to have a calling. This garden was gigantic, and God told Adam, hey, take care of it. God knew that Adam would need a helper to take care of that garden. That's part of the reason why he made Eve was to help in the gardening project. Okay, so Genesis 1.26 says, let us, make it, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. This word for have dominion means to rule. It means to actively partner with God in taking the world somewhere. It doesn't mean to exploit or to harm the earth. We're supposed to care for the, or for the earth, but it means to harness the raw materials of the earth to make something beautiful. Everyone is called to take dominion for God. Everyone has a calling, something that they were made to do. All healthy marriages should be built around a calling. So ladies, find yourselves a man who has a gardening project. If he doesn't have a gardening project, or if that gardening project looks like Call of Duty, do not date him, all right? Instead, find someone with a passion and a calling. Men, same thing. Find a woman who has a calling and a passion, and make sure, here's just a practical thing, don't marry someone who doesn't have a calling that fits with yours, all right? Find someone who you can actively take the world somewhere with, okay, and do it together, all right? That doesn't mean you have to have the same occupation. That just means that Oh, you have to be headed in the same direction. Okay, verse 24 and 25, it says they'll become one flesh and they were naked and not ashamed. So third purpose of marriage is sex. Okay, so marriage gives us a safe place to express our sexuality. Sex in the garden was beautiful. And this is the last week for a while you're gonna have to hear me or Derek say sex. So just praise the Lord for that. But uh, it, uh, there is no shame. And it's not like God created Adam and Eve and then they started doing it. And God was like, what are you doing? Don't do that. I didn't know you were going to do that. No, God knew what he was doing when he created them in that way. They were, and we are, designed for sex. Adam and Eve 
wholly give themselves to each other, and they become a cod. They're fused together at the deepest levels. They're naked, they're vulnerable, and they're not ashamed. This is the way that sex was meant to be expressed. Sex is meant to be a glue within marriage that keeps a man and woman committed to each other for life. Every sexual act outside of this marriage is a sin. It's, it's not a sin because God wants, to, or God wants to steal your fun. It's a sin because it destroys you. Paul speaks of this in 1 Corinthians 6. This is a great passage on sexuality. We're going to talk about it this week in small groups. It says, Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Paul tells us that, that when we have sex with someone, we are joining ourselves with them. We're becoming a cod with them. This is what Paul means when he says you're sinning against your own body. We are body joining ourselves to someone else. Sexual sin is one of the most serious sins because it cuts at our very core. It cuts at our identity. We're joining ourselves to someone that we're not supposed to join ourselves with. When two people become a cod, they unite each other at every level of life. Paul is decrying the act of physically uniting yourself with someone who you're not spiritually united with, who you're not legally united with. Paul says, if you're going to unite yourself with someone, do it on every single level. It should all be one package. You shouldn't become one with someone physically who you're not willing to commit to for a lifetime. Because of the, because of the or seriousness of a cod, we should flee from sexual immorality. Flee in the Greek is the strongest of words. It's like, get out of town, run away, get as far away as fast as you can from it. Because Paul knew that it would destroy us. Some of you may wonder, what exactly is sexual immorality? Okay, it's kind of a big word. The Greek word for sexual immorality is porneia. That's where we get porn from. And porneia is any and all sexual activity or sexual activity outside of a marriage between a man and woman. It includes, but it's not limited to, pornography, oral sex, even lustful thoughts. You know, Jesus, I think it's in Matthew 5, says, if you even lust, you're committing adultery in your heart. Okay, so even lusting would be sexual immorality. Dirty movies would be sexual immorality. Strip clubs, masturbation, and so forth. Okay, I don't need to give everything. But, but with that said, God's view of sexuality is much higher than our culture's. Culture says that sex is just physical. It's just, bi or just biological. It's like eating food. You just got to do it to get the urge out. But God's is that sex is so much more, and it should only be expressed in marriage. Genesis 1.28 says this. We're going to keep moving, okay? So it says this. This is the next purpose. And God blessed them, and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Okay, so the fourth purpose of marriage is family. Okay, so marriage gives us a safe place to reproduce and to have children. God is into the family. Family is the building block of society. That's actually why the government, like, blesses marriage by giving uh, couples, like, tax breaks and stuff. It's because family is good for society. The government sees it as a good thing, and, and they want to encourage that. God knows that the healthiest place to have a family is inside this relationship between a man and woman who are committed for life. And, 
And very practically speaking, God gave us marriage as the vehicle through which we could spread his rule over the earth. Okay, so I really want my legacy to live on past the day I die. So my plan is to have as many kids as possible for as long as Emily will let me. I'm kidding, and we're not gonna do that. But we're gonna have a lot of kids because I wanna just spread it, right? I wanna disciple my children and send them out, right? That's the heart. So everyone does not need to have kids, though. I wanna say that. So there's some married couples who they can't have children, right? And that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with them or that God's mad at them. It just means that, that for some couples, they might not be able to have children. And that's a product of the fall. That's a product of sin. It's come in and it's, it's, it's brought destruction, okay? So I just wanted to say that. And some people could decide that they don't want to have kids. That's not wrong either, right? I do think God loves kids. He would encourage us to have kids. But it's fine not to have children if you're called to that, okay? So uh, now we're going to go to the New Testament for our last purpose of marriage, okay? So Ephesians 5, 25. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Okay, so the last reason we have marriage, there's more, right? But, but the last one that I have tonight is recreation. Okay, so marriage both reflects God's love to the world through the man and woman laying their lives down for each other, and it helps us become more like Jesus. This is perhaps the most pressing reason we have marriage. It's this signpost to the world of God's love. It's a picture of what Jesus did on the cross when he laid down his life for us. In marriage, two people say, I'm going to do away with my rights and my freedom so I can serve someone for all the days of my life, and that person is going to serve me. Marriage is a beautiful picture of the gospel. It's a signpost that, that Jesus gave up his life for the church. We see that here as Paul calls husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And marriage, as I was sharing earlier, also helps us to become more like Jesus. I'm not kidding you guys. Marriage has helped me become more holy than any other thing I've done. I can read the Bible all I want. Do that every day, right? But marriage, it just pushes me. Because, you know, like I said, we can get on each other's nerves. And it pushes you to become more like Jesus and lay down your life for someone else. Okay, so the last question I want to answer here is, is what if biblical marriage is not for me? That's a big question, right, in our culture today. What if this is not for me? I don't, I'm not interested in this. As we've seen tonight, God's design for romantic relationships and sexuality is for us to pursue it within the context of a man and woman committed to each other for life. I want to encourage you, though, if biblical marriage is not something you want to pursue, there is another option. And it's actually a very celebrated option in the New Testament. It's a big deal. It's an exciting thing. It's, it's something that, that, that people that God wants to use in a special way are called to. Okay, so let's look at it. Paul talks about it, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He says, now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it's good for them to remain single as I am. I want you to be free of anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit, but the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your devotion to the Lord. Okay, so... 
Paul was single, and he believed that single was, or singleness was a beautiful option and actually something that should be pursued if God calls you to it. Paul asked some people to stay single so they could wholly focus on the Lord and pursue him and not be anxious about worldly things. Like for me, guys, I can't fully focus on the work of the ministry on the campus because I have a daughter who needs my attention a lot. I have a wife who needs my attention. So, and you guys have seen this even since we've had Jane, for those of you who have been around, I'm not around as much as I used to be because practically I have other things that I have to worry about. For those who are single, you can wholly commit yourself to pursuing the Lord and the things of the Lord. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So if you're saying, hey, I don't really want to marry someone of the opposite sex. That's not my thing. I don't really want to do that. That's okay, all right? And, and Paul would say, hey, consider being single. Consider not getting married. Consider pursuing the things of the Lord for all the days of your life and giving yourself wholly to those purposes. All right, so with this in mind, biblically speaking, we really have two options for romantic relationships. It's either you marry someone of the opposite sex or you're single. Those are the options that we see. Those are the options that are blessed. So God doesn't bless friends with benefits. God doesn't bless hooking up with random people. He doesn't bless pornography or cohabitation or divorce or two people being in a relationship forever but never getting married. But he doesn't refuse blessing on these certain types of relationships to, or to steal our fun, but because he knows how it's supposed to work and he knows that all those types of relationships or ways of doing it is missing the mark. That's what sin is, missing the mark. And God wants you to get the bullseye when it comes to sex and romance because he wants you to have the fullest life possible. John 10, 10, again, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. God is after your good. God knows what he's doing. If that's the main thing you could get tonight, that's all I want you to get. God is after your good, and he, and he knows how your life is supposed to work, and he wants you to pursue that. All right, so the main idea again tonight is this. Marriage is a beautiful gift from God that is worth pursuing. And to recap, my two big ideas, we can trust that God's dream for marriage is good. It's a good thing. And God's dream for marriage is one man becoming one flesh with one woman for life. Talking about this can be a difficult thing to navigate. And that's why I gave the first two sermons to my brother. Just kidding. That's not why I did it. I was sick last week. We already planned that, but I gave it to him because he's great. He's an incredible speaker. But it is a difficult thing to talk about. Every year when February comes around, I'm like, ah, oh, I got to talk about that again. Lord, I feel like I just did it. I feel like I just prayed and prayed and prayed for the last time I had to do this. Now I got to do it again. It's hard to do, but it's important to speak into this because there is so much confusion and we all have different backgrounds. We all have different stories that brought us here tonight. And here's one thing I know. I don't know your stories. I don't know your past. I don't know what you've been through. Some of you I do, but for the most part, I don't know. And I don't want to get up here and act like I know everything because I don't. I don't know what you've been through, but I do know what the word says. And all I got to do is implore with you and say, hey, God's got a good plan. God's got a dream for you and it's incredible. And I'm a product of it in both ways. I've seen it bad. I've seen it good. As I've been sharing tonight, this is really my story of, you know, seeing the bad side, seeing the good. When I was in high school, I was a Christian. I believed in Jesus, prayed the prayer, all that kind of stuff. But, and I even knew that sex outside marriage was not God's heart. Like, I had a purity ring, okay? And maybe you have one, so I don't want to make a joke about it. But I had a purity ring, so, and if you have one, that's really, I mean, that's great. But, but for me, people made fun of me for it, and it was bad because I did things I shouldn't have. I did not obey it. I'd, like, wear the purity ring and and do stuff I shouldn't have. And, you know, 
I've shared this before, but if you're new, I was addicted to pornography for like six years. And I had, you know, different sexual relationships. And I had this idea in my head, though, that I could do whatever I wanted as long as I kept my V card, right? So I grew up in Christian culture. I don't know if you've seen these shirts, but like the shirts that are like pink that say virginity rocks or something. Okay, maybe that's, okay, point is, I grew up in that culture, pretty ring culture, all that. And I thought, as long as I stay a virgin, then God will love me. And I'll be blessed, and I'll get a great wife who's smoking hot. You know, that's the, the message I was, that was preached to me, right? If I just, like, honor God in this way, then I'm going to get the best wife ever, and it's going to be amazing. We're never going to have issues. But the thing is, I was so bankrupt. Even though I was keeping my V-card, I was so bankrupt, doing things with girls, pushing the line, just, just uh, hurting girls. It was just bad. And right before I got to high school, or right before I got here to you and I, God let me finally lose my virginity. And I don't want to give too many details, but I was at a party and I was drunk and one thing led to another and I lost my virginity and I hardly knew what happened. And I was devastated. I was devastated because my whole righteousness, my whole sense of God loving me was built upon the fact that I was a virgin. And I felt so broken, guys. I, I've never felt that broken sense. I never felt that broken before. It's just like the sense that, that God would never love me again. And the next day I went home and I went into my bedroom and I just wept and wept and wept and wept and wept before God and said, God, you'll never love me now. God, you'll never love me now. I didn't have a concept for God forgiving something as, as unforgivable as that. And something else I thought of, I was like, God, no Christian girl is ever gonna wanna be with me after I'm dirty like this. And my mom came into my bedroom and she knew my desire to stay, stay pure until I was married. And uh, she, or so she knew what happened. She knew the only way he could be this devastated is if that happened. And she began to pray over me and just like was praying this really spirit-led prayer and just saying, God, show Daniel that you still love him. Something simple like that. I kid you not, guys, in that moment, I really met Jesus for the first time. The Jesus that doesn't give up on us. The Jesus that's not holding things against us. The Jesus that is not just waiting for us to perform so he can love us, but instead the Jesus who pursues us all the way, even when we're in our deepest pit. And Jesus told me, he said, Daniel, I'll love you for the rest of the days of your life and for eternity. I'm never giving up on you. I'm for you. And in that moment, something changed in my heart. And I realized that the reason why we follow Jesus is not because we're trying to be holy, although we wanna be holy, not because we're trying to prove anything, but instead because Jesus gave up everything for us. He loved us when we were unlovable. And if he loves me when I'm unlovable, I'm gonna give my entire life to this Jesus. Because this Jesus is holy. He's perfect. He's over everything. He has every right to let us all go to hell. But Jesus said, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not giving up on my people who I created in the garden here in Genesis 1 and 2. And said, I'm gonna come to earth. I'm not gonna give up on them. I'm gonna come to them. And I'm gonna pay the price for their sins. Because my sin that July morning or that July night that has a price, and that price is death. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. That was the price of my sin, and I felt that weight. But the beautiful thing is Jesus paid that price on the cross 2,000 years ago. He knew what I would do on July 23rd of 2011, and he said, I'm gonna lay down my life so Daniel doesn't have to give up his life and go to hell. And once I realized that it changed everything, I wasn't pursuing virginity anymore to prove something. I was pursuing virginity. I was pursuing purity because Jesus loved me so much. And if Jesus loved me so much, I just want to please my dad, right? If he gave it all for me, I just want to give or give my life back to him as an act of worship. So tonight, here's what I got for you. If you came in here and you've messed up sexually, well, welcome to the club. 
but I believe that tonight that Jesus wants to tell you, just like he told me, hey, there's nothing that you could ever do that could separate yourself from my love. It's the best news you could ever hear. Jesus is not holding it against you. But here's the other thing I wanna see happen. When you experience that love and that forgiveness, I want you to say, Jesus, if you're really this good, then I'm gonna trust you from now on. And I'm gonna stop trying to do things my own way. But instead, I'm gonna pursue your beautiful design and I'm gonna submit myself to you. Okay, so let's pray for that. You guys can stand with me. I just wanna read or share a verse with you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Behold, the old has gone and the new has come. Behold, the old is gone and the new has come. I believe that Jesus wants to make some new creations in this place tonight. I believe that Jesus wants to give some fresh starts. So if you just bow your heads and close your eyes, I wanna give you a chance to respond to Jesus. Maybe you're like me right now and, and you're experiencing the weight of your sin and you just need Jesus to show you his grace and his mercy and his love and, and to say that he hasn't given up on you. So if that's you, or maybe you're a Christian already, maybe you're not, but if you just need Jesus to show you his forgiveness and his love right now. Can you just raise your hand all across this room? Okay, I see that hand, I see that hand. There's lots of hands going up. So I just wanna pray that something supernatural would happen and that Jesus would just like breathe new life all across this room. Forgiveness and freedom and fresh starts all across this room. Jesus, right now, we just wanna pray for that. God, we pray that, that for those that came in here tonight and they're feeling hopeless, the they're feeling broken. They're feeling the weight of their sin and they feel like there's no hope for them. I pray that hope would rise tonight, Jesus. That I pray that you would show them your vision for marriage and for sex. And God, that they would pursue that with everything they got. And God, I pray that this room, that the students in this room would be a bright shining light to the world of the gospel through their relationships. God, I pray that we would just be a city on a hill. As culture's going one way, we're gonna go the way of Jesus. God, I just pray for that right now. All right, and I have a second way to respond. If you're here tonight and you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you wanna put your faith and your trust in him, if you want forgiveness for the first time or you need to recommit yourself to Jesus, I wanna give you a chance to do that. Okay, so I'm gonna to count to three and when I do, you slip up your hand and I'm just gonna pray for you and Jesus promises that if you confess your sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive you, okay? So one, two, three, slip them up all across this room. Say hand, say hand. All right, we got some new sons and daughters coming into the house of God tonight. All right, so let's pray for that. Let's pray that, that God would just kind of rebirth some of us tonight and that it'd be a brand new start, that there'd be new creations made in this room. So Jesus, right now, we pray for that. God, there's some of us who came in and we're separated from you. And tonight we're just confessing that we missed the mark, Jesus. We've sinned, we've fallen short. And tonight we're putting all of our trust all of our weight into you and saying, Jesus, we need you to save us. We need you to make us a new creation. So Holy Spirit, right now, come into each of our hearts, birth new life in us, do a new thing, Jesus. We thank you in your name, amen. All right, guys, so I want this, or just these last few moments to be a sweet time of worship. Uh, can you guys just kind of close your eyes right now and just kind of lift your hands out in front of you like this. You don't have to lift them up above your head, just in front of you. And, and I just want to invite the Holy Spirit, say, all right, move in this last, these last moments of worship. Holy Spirit, just move in this place. Just do something supernatural, Holy Spirit. All right, the band, just go ahead and lead out. We're gonna sing to the Lord.